War Room the Hockey Podcast back this week in studio. Real quick note before we begin, pay attention to War Room the Hockey Podcast on Facebook, War Room the Hockey Podcast on Instagram. We will be posting more on those platforms, things like players and teams to look out for this coming year, um, coming up in the 2020 draft, things like that. So stay tuned. War Room the Hockey Podcast on Facebook, at War Room the Hockey Podcast on Instagram. Tune in this week, episode number 20 of War Room the Hockey Podcast. podcast episode 20 starting out this week real quick and i put this out on instagram vasileski signs eight years in tampa yep good move just there. The, it is just and this morning actually ryan callahan was <laughs> traded to ottawa yes so the question i put out on instagram yesterday when the extension was signed was what is vassy's extension mean for Braden Point. What did Vazzy get? Eight years. What's his AAV? Um, I had it. His AAV, uh, eight years, nine. Nine million? Um, Ish. Uh, let's see. It's about the right number. Nine, 9.5. Okay. Believe it or not. Um, but he, that's what he, what he had. And so I, the question I put out was, what's it mean for Braden Point? Because you have... Tampa's arguably one of one of the teams, if not maybe the only team with the tightest cap situation, right? Well, Callahan frees what seven million for them? Six? Is it six? Something like that. Um, it's about five hundred k per point, I think, per scored point for Callahan. I mean, not Braden point. Let's see. Pull up the article here. See if uh, it gives Callahan's. Uh, cap. He's in that six and a half to seven and a half range someplace. I think he's right. Give or take, he's about seven million. Anyway, it's way too much. That was an unload, and I'm the only surprising thing in there is that Ottawa didn't get more for taking that contract. Yeah, because that was just a dump. Vasilevsky, eight years, nine point five million. Okay. Um, so my question that I posed yesterday for everybody out there was, what does it mean for Braden Point? Braden Point. So now this was this. Let's let's look at this real quick. Bef- on the basis that Callahan was not moved, you sign v- Vasilevsky. What does it mean for Braden Point? What are they? I, I'm not looking at that. I'm not looking at that roster right now. But they've got they got Palat, Johnson, Kalorn, Cedric Paquette. They've got some guys that are not huge hits. But if you add up several of them, you could make. You can make room for Braden Point, and they've got some depth. I mean, they've still got some guys in that pipeline that are that Weiserman drafted that are going to be able to step in. So I would say you're probably going to see some casualties uh, amongst the um, amongst the free agents there. I don't think they have any other way to get Point in. Even without Callahan, they can't get Point in under the cap. Yep. Now, having said that, Callahan was moved this morning, or at least it was announced this morning. Right. With Callahan gone now, does that make it easier to sign Braden Point? Yeah. Well, it makes it it makes it seven million dollars easier, but they spent nine and a half on on Vasilevsky, which which had to be done. Uh, I don't see any way that they let Braden Point get away. I don't know. I haven't heard what he's asking for, but I have to presume it's in the ten range. Because well, he's forty goal scorer, he's got to be in the ten to ten and a half range. He's got to be in the in the Mitch Marner. Everybody's waiting stratosphere on Mitch Marner, though. I know to set the market, basically, <laughs> including set, Kyle Dubas to set the tone. Um, real quick. Well, but, with that in mind, though, sorry. Uh, what they did with uh, Dubas played a little bit of a shell game with the cap, taking back Dave Clarkson. Mm-hmm on LTIR 
which actually when he picked up that contract, he actually made more cap space. Yep. So now they they went from having six or seven or so to spend on Marner, which was never going to come close to getting it done. Now he's got about $11.5 million, I believe, that he can spend on Mitch Marner before he has to play Hocus Pocus again next year and the year after to keep Morgan Riley around and, and uh, a couple other guys. That and Tyson Berry. Yeah. Um, oh, that's going to be a big one. Transitioning real quick. Question um, from John Leahy. Friend of the show, John Leahy. <laughs> uh, he has yet to even mention that he knows any of us in any capacity, <laughs> which is fine, but I'm just saying. I don't blame him. Friend of the show. Maybe that's a one-way street, <laughs> but uh, he had a question. Um, and sorry, John, we we skipped over it the past few weeks. Um, but his question from an episode a few weeks ago was, on your latest episode, you touched on player evaluation. So that was our player evaluation episode. Yep. It got me to wondering if NHL teams use analytics to find undervalued players like baseball does. Does the game lend itself to such? Do they have their own way of determining stats like wins above replacement? Yep. That's or is plus minus about as sophisticated as they get? In, It depends on the team. Some teams are very analytics heavy. I know five or six years ago, and by the way, great question. Analytics a few years ago became a really big, a big thing. Corsi and Fenwick and, and all the different analytics that they use. Some of them are extremely valuable. Some of them you don't see much of. I think plus minus is maybe one of the great misleading analytics. I mean, you, you take a, a defenseman that's playing top minutes, top pair defenseman, unless you're on a really good team, your plus minus is going to suffer because you are facing the top guys every night. So, it depends on who you are, who you're playing against, uh, what kind of a team you're on. You can't play in Edmonton in the last two years and be expected to have a plus because that team at the end of the year was about minus 80. So everybody's taken a hit. That one I don't like. I think there's been a gradual shift away from analytics uh, as, as a go-to thing. There's really, in my estimation, just like golf analytics and everything else there's one analytic that really matters it's wins and losses mm -hmm. so you may not have the best possession numbers you might not have the most dump in or carry in numbers save percentage save percentage goals against all, average yeah. what matters is the w so uh great question i think it varies greatly between teams some teams pay a lot more attention to it than others it's like Chica in Arizona is an analytics guy. Yeah, and one of the younger GMs. And so, so is he's, Dubas. He, he and Dubas are two of the big ones. Dubas in Toronto yep. are the two of the big ones that use analytics. Absolutely. So, du you know, Kyle Dubas kind of got his start in, coming from yeah. Sault Ste. Marie. Yep. He was an analytics guy there and, and was very So analytics successful. are used, um, but depending on the team, plus minus or actually wins and losses more so, is... The, as sophisticated as it gets, you know, if you win, if you win, guess what? Goaltender can allow six goals, but if you win seven six, you're starting next game because you got the win. Yeah. It's type of type of thing. I mean, wins and losses carry a lot of weight these days. So, when I I believe, and this is just a personal opinion, I believe that that analytics get used a lot in in arbitration and in contract negotiations but only if they favor you. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody will bring it up. Nobody will bring up a Fenwick number or anything or a Corsi number if it doesn't, if it's not in your favor. But if you're one of the top 10 guys in the league in, in puck possession or shots while, shots a while on ice, then you're going to bring that up. Stats are like bikinis. They reveal some really cool stuff, but not all, not everything you need to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, transitioning one final thing came across m my, my screen just a minute ago, Paul Fenton fired in Minnesota. Yeah. He was, I saw earlier today that he was let go, which didn't take long. Something it was went, one season. Yeah. That something went very wrong there. That's maybe one of the shortest GM careers I've ever seen. 
So that that smacks more of either some major philosophical problem, uh, or could have been an ownership, or uh, it could have been an ownership thing where they just said, "No, here's here's how we're going to do things," and he said, "Oh no, we're not." And you know who's always going to win that one? Absolutely. So that was that was probably less performance and less uh, actual roster decisions and more about f- philosophy and and who's who's writing the checks. Anyway, I found that interesting. One year in Minnesota and then well, that's ousted. Almost unheard of. Yeah. For a GM. So, um, War Room, the hockey podcast. Go to Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like and a follow. Tune in episode number. 20 of war room the hockey podcast war room the hockey podcast coming to you from downtown summerland bc the studios of north paw media brought to you by our friends at ryanwalter.com and our friends at breakaway brewing company breakaway brewing and ryanwalter.com proud sponsors of war room the hockey podcast from the studios of north paw media in summerland bc perfect well this week uh, episode 20, we're already at the 20 mark. Amazing. This week we're uh, general roster construction, is that correct? Yes, sirree. It's that time of year. I mean, you can tweak them at the deadline, you can tweak them at the draft, you can, you know, but there's, you know, roster construction is so weird. You're talking altogether different philosophy, whether you're, if you're, if you're making a paycheck for it, we have a lot of developmental hockey listeners, and that's a that's a whole different scenario. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're now you're talking about best player available. Take what you can get. Uh, take what comes along. You you're having camps and tryouts and and looking under looking under every rock and bush to try to find uh, try to find a guy that you need. So you can't construct the right roster until you know it, and once you see what you've got then you see what you don't have, then then that's when the work starts. Yeah, I, I, I'm always fascinated, too, during the offseason. Teams, you know, come free agency. They're signing guys to fill holes in the roster, right? They're making trades. They're doing these things. and But they also have prospects hoping to make the roster. Right. So finding that, that balance of, okay, we want we want to sign this guy in free agency to fill this spot, or we want our prospect to come up and fill that spot. And making and the thing with free agency is it's before camp, so camp is really where you see the prospects and seeing if they're ready to fill that spot. And so the question I have, and it's more rhetorical because I I kind of know the answer, but the question for everybody is. You know what's what's the balance of, you know, I'm going to go out and bring in a Jerome Ginla, right? Yep. To fill the left wing hole that we have to help bring in leadership and help us get to the next level, or I'm going to, or I'm going to bring up a name a guy, Martin Kaut, uh, yep. um, some sort of prospect, somebody so from inside. The rhetorical question would be: Is what what's the balance? What's the line? You know, because you want to give prospects incentive, but you're also signing guys in the offseason to fill the very roster spots that would be available for those prospects. Well, as I said, you know, when you're when you're talking about being in the show, you got a whole different you got a whole different set of parameters because you've got a salary cap and you've got guys coming off of entry level deals and onto RFAs and into UFA and you you also have to look at are you getting are you getting younger are you getting faster are you getting getting bigger what is your team lacking what's your chemistry looking like do you need do you need veteran leadership or do you need some youthful energy there's there are so many factors that go into it plus there's the old crystal ball which you have to predict what this goaltender is going to look like three or four years down the road or what this kid before you sign him to a long-term deal coming out of entry level, what's he going to look like at 26 or 27 when he goes to UFA? It's very, very inexact science, but there is, there's a lot of methodology to it. So uh, at that level, guys are, are busy right now, but it doesn't matter what you need. It's what you can afford. Mm. 
what often surprises me in the last, I want to say the last five years or so, surprises me a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that teams are not willing to build from within more than they do. I see teams with kids in the AHL, not not the way not the way um, Detroit did it many years ago. Well, that was a little different because they could they could hold on to a kid till he was twenty four or twenty five in Grand Rapids, and leave him there to percolate, as they always said, uh, and and nobody squawked about it. Now, if you've got a kid that's tearing the AHL up, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine leaving Miko Rantanen in well, the AHL what, for an extra say. year or two? Miko Rantanen had. And I'd have to look up its stats, but it's been a few years. But he he, had he tore it up in San Antonio, and he had, I think, in how many games did they play? Seventy games. Yeah. Seventy-two, seventy-six games. He had fifty. He had fifty goals. Fifty some points. Fifty. I mean, his numbers were there to that was, made you wonder why he wasn't in the NHL already. And so I think. People's patience levels are, are have changed. Well, they don't have any choices now. Your patience level has to change because the kid won't stay there for one thing. Uh, that's a, that's a contract but, thing too, isn't well, it? The way they're on entry level, you have no the way they've restructured how contracts are, how long contracts are, how you know the compensation you're given. The way they've done that now, you can't get away with leaving a guy to per, a kid to to grow and mature and and yeah. everything because. He'll you'll burn through his three years down in the A, and and by the time by that time he's ready to to bounce somewhere else. Yeah, and he's costing he's, you a fortune. You've got nothing for him. I mean, you've, if he's going to be that good, get him into the get him into the big league roster and let him go. And I like I don't understand why teams don't use those four free call ups at the end of the season more than they do. Yeah, bring those guys in, let them play for nothing. It doesn't cost you an entry level year. It doesn't cost you anything. They expand the roster, so you're not even over the roster limit. You don't have to send anybody down. Bring that kid in. So there was last year, there was a bunch of teams that were locked into playoff spots. They were not going up or down in the standings. They weren't going to change where they started the playoffs. Or they were out of the playoffs altogether, and I still didn't see those call-ups at the end of the season. I don't get that. I like I call-ups, sure. How you use the call-ups, though, I think varies depending on where you are. Oh, sure it does. I think I think um, I'm an advocate for if you're not in the playoffs, get your four call-ups and use those four call-ups. Yeah, rest some guys. If you if you are in the playoffs, or I mean, yeah, never mind. If you yeah, are, if you are in the playoffs, if you are in the playoffs, rest them. Rest them, sure. But there's a to me there's a fine line between rest and rust. Yep. And if you're Always. in if you're in the groove. If you've got chemistry with your line mates, if you're if you're putting up points, if you're competitive and you're competing and you're a cup favorite, you're contending, you're doing these things. Do you want to do you want to mess with the chemistry of the lineup that's that's obviously working just for the sake of getting a young kid his ice time? And so I'm an advocate for 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 using it if the team's not in the playoffs more more so than if they are. Use them, use them if you're in the playoffs. Use them as your black aces. Use them as if somebody goes down. Yep. Use them as this and that. They're out Let there practicing. Least, they're still, you know, they're still moving. Yep. Let if them be they, around the team. See, even sitting in the press box. But if they yep. get to practice with you every day. But if you're not in the playoffs, then absolutely. Now, yep. now you've got more luxury to know what hasn't been working. Plug this kid in and let him get his time. If you're not in the playoffs, you need to see what's coming up through your system a lot more urgently than if you are in the playoffs and you can't really take you can't really take a young kid who's whose first six or eight games in the nhl might be in in throwaway games at the end of the year and put him on playing eight minutes on the fourth line that's not going to tell you much of anything he needs to if he's a good player he's going to need to play with good players you're going to need to see how he stands up physically uh, but I, that's one that that's one that I don't understand as a means to, like, it tells you so much more than than training camp. Oh, absolutely. And it tells you so much more than what you see in the AHL every night. You can watch seventy games in the AHL, and ten games in the show will tell you a lot more. 
So Absolutely. I don't I don't understand why that doesn't happen more often. But uh, these are guys that get paid a lot of money to do what they do. So I that's uh, that building from from within is something that after the last CBA I think became much more difficult. Uh, yeah, much more difficult. Or much more there's much more pressure on it because you got a, a tighter salary cap. You got guys getting paid a lot more. The structure of free agency and restricted free agency and arbitration and compensation for offer sheets and everything dictates that you have to scout extremely well because if you are trying to build your team through trades, you are not going to get it done. Nope. You just simply aren't. So if you want pieces that you, the blue chip pieces that you can either plug into your roster or trade for what you need, you've got to draft well. And that means you've got to get two or three guys out of every single draft, one of which can play every night, one of which is someplace in the middle, and one that, that might be a marginal player that somebody can pick up and use for depth. Yep. But you've got to get them every year. Yep. The the building of a roster, though, depends a lot on cap, and it depends a lot on contract and salary structure as well. Sure. It, it depends. In some cases, it depends solely on that. Well, and I, that's and I, I, I saw a thing, I was, uh, a clip. I was online, and I saw a clip. Um, they were talking about, um, who was it? Oh, JT Comfer's extension. In Colorado, four years at three and a half, and he fits three and a half million. Yeah, he fits that because he's a he's a he scored sixteen goals last year. He only played sixty some games. If he's healthy, he's a twenty goal guy. Mm-hmm. He fits third line depth, which in the structure, third liners are making three to four million. Right. Fourth liners are making nine hundred thousand to two million. Your top six forwards, they're making anywhere between five million and eleven million. Right. So it fits that that kind of that structure. And it may and I saw that clip and I thought to myself, I wonder why or how long it will be until that's how it's structured all the way through where you look at how a guy fits in a team's lineup and you go, okay, you scored this many goals, you had this production, so you're making this much money. That's what it is. Because it really, because it, you know, using JT Comper, that was clearly based on production. He scored 16 goals. He's a third line guy, three and a half million. You're a depth, you're, you're a depth guy. Right. If he scores 40 goals, all of a sudden now, he's worth six million based on production. So, how many teams are you are already using production? And the ones that aren't, how long before they're all using production as how they how they base contracts? Yeah. Or will that ever happen? I don't. And that's more of a rhetorical, for you know, let's pontificate go back and forth but that you know just a curiosity long-term deals are they're based on the the player wants them based on a combination of production and potential of course the team wants everybody to a team wants their third line guy to have a breakout year and score 30 or 35 goals but as soon as he does that when he gets to the end of his second deal now all of a sudden he thinks he's in that you know, he's in that $8 million stratosphere. Well, it's, it's so, a vicious cycle of, sure. of a team wanting secondary scoring. Right. But then when they get it, they got to pay for it. Well, the, and, well and, that, and it's not just a team, it's fan bases too that I find, right? Oh, yeah. A team, a team going, and worse yet, it's the fans that really don't know anything. Yep. They're just fans. They just scream and, ooh, this is my team, you know? <laughs> They're the ones, and I, I've I've no, seen a few of these on social media with 
commenting on on signings and re-signings and things like that. This guy deserves more, you know, things like that. I've never seen that on social media. Oh, never mind. I'm not on social media. <laughs> but I've seen it and it bothers me because it, clearly they don't know anything. They're just going off of this is my favorite player or this is my favorite team, right. or this is my favorite player on my favorite team. How could you cut him loose? How could and, you not pay? How could you trade him? Right. That's a that's a shit trade. Right. How could you not pay him more? How could you this or that? And I look at it, and I see that, and people don't understand that, that there's things that go into it. It's not just you think he deserves more, so he gets more. Well, and like, uh, I don't know, pick a guy. Pick Jake Gardner in Toronto. Everybody in Toronto knows that despite having a few turnovers, Jake Gardner's a he's a six or seven million dollar defenseman if he stays healthy. If his yeah. back injury isn't a problem, the, but who can afford him? Mm-hmm. You can't do what they've done and still pay Jake Gardner seven million dollars. So it's a combination of 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 who can afford you and what you're worth and finding the right fit. Where where teams make out like bandits is when you sign a long-term deal for a guy like Nathan McKinnon. And so for five of the six years that he signed, he is an absolute steal. At the end of that, he's going to make you pay for it, but you've already gotten a lot of production out of him. When you get, when you're getting big points out of a guy like Braden point in Tampa that we talked about earlier, and he's on an entry level contract or, and, and so now he's going to, he's going to RFA and now he's going to get paid. But, you such as the always such as the want burden. that yeah you want it's, that production out of the guy who is in the second year of a five year yep. deal and he's just killing it that's, well, that's the burden and that's the point I was making I lost my train of thought and that's kind of why I stopped but my train of th- my thought was with these fans that really don't know much other than hooting and hollering this is my favorite team they they clamor. I want such and such needs secondary scoring. Such and such needs uh, another defenseman. And they're basing it off of their favorite team. But then their favorite team goes out and does that very thing. And they bring in a second, second line center, a guy that can win faceoffs, a guy that can put up 30 goals. They do that. And then how dare you trade this guy to do that? Well, what, how dare you do this and that? That's a, that's a shit trade. And it's like, no, it's not because you're getting, the team is getting the very thing that they needed and they're trading a piece while heartbreaking to see a guy go. They're trading a piece that they have a, a backlog of, right? That they can afford to trade knowing that they will get the piece they need in return. And a so. smart general manager, that's how they trade. Well, you, so you you can't complain that you want secondary scoring and you want it this way. But then when you get it, complain the other way that you no longer have this guy. Would you rather all the guys that are your favorite and all the guys that you love and be bounced out every year in the first round? Or would you rather fill the holes that you need filled and win a Stanley Cup? Do you think for a second conversely that 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 same player that you want to stick around so badly do you think for one second that if somebody offered him as a ufa two million dollars a year more than your favorite team that he wouldn't take it and run like nobody's ever done that and if they did the players association would and these skewer them these know nothing fans which and i don't want to insult them they love hockey they love their teams got to appreciate the passion okay let me say that yeah but they, they don't understand all that. When they, somebody goes into li- lineup, somebody has to come. They out. have a false sense of of loyalty when it comes to that, right? Those types of fans, they have a false sense of what loyalty is. Yep. So, oh, this guy, you know, he's my favorite for my favorite team. So, either pay him what I think he should get paid, <laughs> which is hilarious, armchair stuff. Yep. Or, oh, don't worry about it. He'll resign. And you have a false sense of loyalty there. Neither one of those. Are you really going to, do you really think, take a Tyson Berry, for example, do you really think come UFA next year, if we, if Colorado didn't trade him, that 
he wouldn't walk if Colorado offered him 7.2 and Toronto or Vancouver or somebody offered him 8.6. Yeah. Not a chance. I I mean, back in I love I love Tyson Berry as an example, but Tyson Berry would walk, and you could argue he has he rightfully does because we can complain about overpaid this or whatever that, but guys getting paid, good for him. Yeah, if I, he's getting paid, good for him. You got to do it, and it's a business, and they'll so they they will let somebody go if they can't fit him in under the cap, and the player will walk if they don't get what they want. So that's the business side of it. It's a revolving uh, door. Sure, it is. Somebody leaves, somebody comes in, and then somebody leaves, and somebody comes in. So, you got to do it that way, and you got to manage the future. So, the 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 general managers that are staying competitive every year are managing their roster three or four or five years ahead of time. That's why you don't see a lot of times you don't see a guy called up or a guy stick who might be effective. But if we if we start his entry level deal now when he's nineteen, he's going to come do with these six other guys at the same time. I can't do that. Yeah. So if you, but if you also, if you draft well, then you've got, for some reason, you find yourself with a pipeline full of really good young defensemen. Mm -hmm. And there are two or three teams around the league that have that luxury, Carolina being one of them, loaded with good defensemen. Um, Now you can use those guys as pieces. If you've got enough guys that you can't sign them, you can't give them enough minutes, those are pieces you can trade for that second line center or for some other way to get to fill the gaps in your roster. So that goes back again to good scouting and good, good prediction of the future and roster management uh, into the future of, of what your, what your team and your salary structure is going to look like. But yeah. You know what? That the transition from there goes back into developmental hockey. And here's where, of course, there's no salary cap to deal with but they still have the same kind of constraints looking for talent. And you can look at your roster in camp and say, wow, we're, this is, you know, we're lacking, we're lacking in this area, we're lacking in that area. Whatever that is, whether it's goaltending or depth or size or speed or, or defensemen, but you've, the, the talent pool to find that goes again into scouting. And it's, that's where that dirty business that we talk about so often of spending every Friday and Saturday night in a rink someplace living on Tim Hortons and staying in, staying in cheap places and driving the prairies uh, in the winter. That's where the, that's where the real magic happens. And there's no way to do it with uh, going back to the question, no way to do it with analytics. Mm -hmm. You can't do it with video. You got to see that kid play. Every night, you got to see him play multiple times a year. You got to see what's around him. You got to get to know him as a character, going back to our previous episode. You've got to find out what makes him tick, who's who he's playing with, who he's playing against. There are so many things that go into it, and that that really hands getting your hands dirty in the scouting world is exactly where all that takes place. And it is not there is not one glamorous thing about it. Nope. But every team that's built that way, they'll tell you that finding that gem someplace, you know, finding that kid that nobody, that everybody else passed up. Wow. That's, that's what gets people promoted. It's what keeps you, keeps you in work for a long time, but it's not easily done. No, it's not. No, but championship winning teams know how to build a roster. Yeah. No kidding. So, and I, you know, I'd be interested to, to talk to, um, to some of our developmental friends, the guys that are that are in the minor hockey level, where you may or may not have the luxury of picking who who you're going to build your roster with, or finding somebody to to fill that gap that uh, that you feel you need. The minor hockey associations, no matter where they are, you got to be in a pretty target rich area mm-hmm. to have your have choices i mean sometimes you're just fed whatever you know whatever shows up and that's youth hockey Um, and you got it and that there there again and and you know to repeat the theme 
that's that's where development happens. Proper development. So you, that's yeah, what I would, that's that, what I am always getting you got at. That C plus kid. You're given what you're given. Make but there are out some of them. there are some associations that that don't have a choice yep. by choice. Meaning they choose to not have a choice by only taking uh, you, the yeah. all star kid. And you see you see uh, everywhere where kids will get pigeonholed at a young age as well, this guy's just not very good. He's mm-hmm. just not very committed. Maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe he's got problems at home. Maybe there's a lot of things at work that this kid maybe is not reaching his peak potential at the age of nine. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you need to try to make something out Imagine of it. Imagine that. So that taking a nine year old and actually <laughs> teaching him something rather than, well, you can, you can toe drag. So I want you on my A team. Right. You can't. So you're down on the, on the C house team. I, so make something out of the kid, teach him the fundamentals, teach him good character, make him be good guys, uh, surround him with good people and reward that yep. and, and teach the fundamentals of the darn game. That's, you know, let those kids grow into a really good 15 or 16 year old who does have a chance to play meaningful hockey when, when he's yep. done in midget or maybe even go on into, uh, you know, beyond the uh, the CJHL or the dub or wherever he ends up playing but give the guy a chance give every single one of them a chance there's there's this you know there's the Stamkos and Tavares that that were the best in the world at the age of seven and and they you know nobody could touch them they're playing three three age groups above their above their uh, level from early on but a lot of players come out there are there's a significant amount of guys that come out of the out of that middle pack of 75% that mm-hmm. they're not the top guy. They're certainly not the bottom guy. They just need a chance to develop. They need the right system, the right guy, the right motive, maybe maturity, maybe physical growth. And unfortunately I've seen a number of youth hockey associations that just don't No, And well, they don't get paid to. That's I've, not- be, I've, I've played for some, I've worked for some, yeah. I've, passed through and seen it yeah. I, they just some don't and it's unfortunate because there's a there's a line between winning and fun that you need to walk you don't want to overemphasize fun because now you're not developing but you don't want to overemphasize winning because now you're not developing right. and you're only taking your a plus nine-year-old who knows how to bounce a puck on a stick and toe drag <laughs> There's a there's a balance, and unfortunately, I've seen and been around a number of associations that just that don't do that, and they do, meaning they don't give kids a chance. It's Part it's about that, the, it's about recruitment numbers. It's about lining their own pockets. It's about this or that that they don't give they don't give kids a chance, and that's the balance I'm talking about, though, where where give all kids a chance, no matter no matter what, because at nine years old. I'm sorry, but at nine years old, every kid is nothing but potential. There is no, there is no, no, you don't have it. Oh yes, you do. It's nothing but potential for all nine year olds. So give everybody a chance to make the A team, give every, and then from there, give everybody a chance to make the B team and then the C team. And then you've got your teams you've, you've drafted, you've chosen your teams during tryouts and now you can properly develop with proper resources of coaches and things like that. But associations don't do it that way with not paying their coaches with this old boys club mentality of, of who's on the in, inner circle. If you are, that's who gets paid type of stuff. Or whose kid gets promoted. Or whose kid gets chosen or promoted yeah. or anything. And that's, that's kind of the route it's gone since as long as I can remember. And it still is to this day with a lot of associations. Well, there's a tie-in to money because since most associations don't pay their coaches at all or very little, some don't even, you know, don't even reimburse travel expenses, uh, you're, you're wanting guys to volunteer. Well, in the, in the area that I coached, I, I coached teams for about 10 years that you, you and your brother did not play on. Mm -hmm. So... I know how many hours it takes. I know how much money gets spent. I know what kind of sacrifice it puts on your family to coach two practices and two games a week plus travel and not have much of a life of your own. 
And you want somebody to do that for free because you want that objective voice. You want somebody who does not have a son or daughter on the ice, so you want objectivity. In order to get objectivity, you get somebody without a kid out there, and but that you don't want to pay them. So hold your hand up and, and get in line if you want to spend three or 400 hours a year, most of it weekends, doing something for free, spending all your own gas money and With travel money that for aren't free, which aren't your own. That, so To not get paid. And not get paid. So then, That's ridiculous. Then the, the converse to that is hockey's already so expensive that if we were going to try to pay the coaches, you're taking a kid now that even playing house costs hundreds of dollars a year, mm-hmm. and you're going to add to that cost in order to pay even just a stipend to a coach for his occasional hotel room and gas and and uh, per diem expenses. So associations are making a lot of money. Though. Well, they do, and so does USA Hockey. Yes. And you know that's a pet peeve of mine. USA Hockey gets paid by the kid, so they just want more kids to register so they can sell more of their monthly coloring books, and and get paid yep. more for. They're uh, making a, a lot of money. To then come out and say that our budget doesn't fit paying coaches. Well, That's my only argument. Being a coach that didn't have a kid that wanted to coach and wanted to give back to the game and a commu- and the community and wanted to do these things, but was still a 25-year-old single bachelor guy who right. still had bills to pay and things to do. I don't I, I struggled with the sorry, we just we don't pay our coaches, but yet how many how many select coaches and I'm using air quotes here are the are the ones behind closed doors getting stacks of cash in their pocket because they're on the inside circle but we don't pay everybody else and you get the resources and you get you get ice time and you get these things and so I just I struggle with that I do too I and so the answer is either don't pay all your don't all pay of anybody them, or pay them all equally or pay them all equally right Pay, pay them all or pay none. Instead of paying but one guy 75000 yeah. the next guy 50000 and then one of them 25000 take all 12 of your guys and yeah. pay each one of equally, uh, you know, 10 grand. But this, this ties into roster construction and to development because of course it does. if you do that, you now have the resources at your disposal, the committed resources to truly develop and give back to the kids and give the kids a fighting chance right. to to develop and to be something in a game that they obviously love but if you're not doing that all of a sudden you're now you're now taking you're now taking parents and burning them out because they have got a job and they've got this and that while also coaching their their 9-year-old and 40 other nine-year-olds six nights a week and you're also taking people who don't have kids and you're running them ragged and running them broke by not paying them them. but wanting them to come in and develop your players and be an objective voice Uh, it's a and that's where if you've got if you've got a a couple of guys getting paid a lot of money and then 12 or 15 other coaches in your minor hockey association or however big it is getting paid nothing. Mm-hmm. And I know there are some that operate this way across Canada and the U S that now you, you pretty much take any volunteer dad who can stand up on skates and is willing to go out and try to devote himself to the season. And God bless him for doing that. Hats off to you. But you you a lot of times get what you pay for. Oh, absolutely. And if you pay nothing, uh, unfortunately, there's you know just remember one of our earliest episodes talking about some of the dodos oh, back yeah. when the guy who, they're still around the guy who pulled the goaltenders no matter what mm-hmm. at the ten minute mark of the second period thought it was the right thing to do to swap goaltenders yeah. even if the guy who started the game had a shutout going he yeah. was going to come out at. And there's still oh. idiots like that, oh, oh, help me. and who th- who think because they have a kid on the team they actually know the game, yeah. but that's you get Watch what you pay for if you're TV. not going to do that. Yeah, and so it's just to me, it, and what it does is, on the basis of this week's topic, it tips the scales to where now 
only certain kids are getting face-to-face time with coaches. Only certain kids are getting meaningful ice time. Only certain kids are getting opportunities. Only certain kids are this and that because because my parent knows the director, because my my uncle, my dad, whatever, is on the inside circle, if you will. And I hate to keep referencing that, but I've witnessed it firsthand. No, I, I did too. I saw it for years. People, coach, certain coaches and certain parents on the inside of the old boys club, if you will. And those are the coaches getting paid. They're getting paid all the, the amount of money that that they want to pay coaches are going to those certain ones. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody else is doing and it for those free. Parents, and those parents are the ones whose kid is getting chosen for the A-team. And then everybody else will be damned. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of good kids and a lot of good potential across North America of kids that could be something in the game, playing, officiating, coaching, whatever, that lose the love of the game because because of the politics and because of the BS and just get run ragged and and everything. And you you have good coaches that now no longer want to be a part of it because you won't pay them. You mistreat them while they're there. Right. You, you don't provide them the, the proper resources. And when they say anything about it, you get, you give them, you give them the, well, I don't know what to tell you yep. type of response. S-O-L. And, and then it's, it's kind of like, well, then I don't want to, I don't want to do this because yeah. if so, I, there's there's a lot of kids that get run off because of it. There's a lot of parents that get run off because of the expense and the politics, and a lot of good coaches that don't get involved. And I know some right here in the Okanagan that just say, I I tried, I got fed up, I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. Good developmental, knowledgeable guys that played that, and and I don't I don't want to give too much credit to the fact that just simply because you played you can coach. That is absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. It's not the case in the NHL. It's not the case in minor hockey. Being a player does not make you a coach. But being being a good coach and a good developer of, of character and a good developer of players and fundamentals, if you get a chance at somebody like that, every association should be able to court that individual because you the what you want, the definition of it is you are a coach, you're a trainer, you're a, you're a mentor. Make that C-plus kid at nine years old, make him into an A-minus player when he's 13 or 14. Yep. Give him the incentive, give him the tools, give him the attitude, and, and give him the culture of getting better if they want to. There's plenty of kids that do it just for fun, yep. and that's fantastic. That's what the game's all for. So let them play for fun. If a kid really wants to get better and find something inside themselves, let them have an opportunity to grow with that. Because they were a house player at Adam or Pee Wee doesn't mean that they're that they're a, a house player forever. Michael Jordan was cut by his high school basketball that's, team. That's the example. And he went on to win how many NBA championships and yep. arguably be the best basketball player in history. It's and, things like that, and it and it's guys like that who then come out and have stories of coaches that told them they were too small, or that they didn't have what it took, or anything like that, yeah. and that kind of makes your blood boil a little bit. Well, sure it does, and it makes at, your blood boil even more when you when you witness coaches like that firsthand. Yep, and and, and, and associations like that firsthand, and you see the the BS politics of it firsthand. I I witnessed so much of that. I and, did too. And 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 it's aggravating, and it's everywhere. I mean, I'm not yeah. uh, I'm not here to single out anybody in particular, absolutely, because it's everywhere. Uh, your brother ran into it, uh, so it, it's it's a shame. What's the fix? Yeah. Like anybody can bitch about it. Yeah, I, absolutely, like, I don't want to be one of those guys. What's the fix to it? I, and well, I, the, I'd be interested to talk to. There's a couple of guys locally yeah. here that I'd really like to bring in if we can, uh, and talk about what can be done to fix it. Well, I think or, part. I think one fix, and and the question with this fix then becomes how do you implement it? But one fix is like we just mentioned: either pay all your coaches, or pay none of them. Right. Because if if it's across the board, whether you're a dad, whether you're 
single, whether you have a kid or not, you know, whether you're on the inside or not, if you make it known that everybody gets paid equally or conversely, no, but no coaches are getting paid. This is a, you, the team will have funds for travels, thus coaches, but individually this is a, you're here because you want to give back volunteer thing or where everybody's getting paid equally. You find a way to implement that. And I think that that's at least a start. Well, that's, that's probably the equitable way to do it. Uh, You know, as opposed to having a, having a director that makes a lot of money and two or three coaches that make a lot of money and then everybody else does it for free. There's no equity in that. Nope. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think probably the start, if you, if you want to, if you want to fix what's wrong, you can usually start with the money. Yep. So, but, and you might even find a way to create some savings and create some incentive in the players and in the association to get into the community and find more sponsorship and find more ways to get things, to, to get things done as a group to, yep. to group purchase on travel and things like that. Uh, so yeah, there's there's ways yeah. to tweak it. I, as far as fixing it, you probably will never get that done. But there yeah. are certainly things that you could do to improve it for sure. Absolutely. Well, what are we doing on time? The we'll theme, the theme is for those that are tuning into this episode and haven't tuned into many others, and for those that have been listening every episode, the theme obviously is development. No matter what, we talk a lot about NHL and junior, but development is the theme. Proper development. There is no major junior, There's not a whole, or NHL without development. Yep. Yeah. There is a whole lot of proper development out there. Otherwise, we wouldn't have professionals. Yep. However, there's also not a lot of proper development out there when you witness it firsthand and you see the way things are going. So balancing that out. Uh, transition before we finish. Now that we finished kind of that topic, a thought I had before we finish the other day, I was just thinking... Do you think a guy like Tom Wilson seems like a more dirty player than he is because of the overregulation of the game? You are asking the wrong guy. And I I say that because if if the league wasn't didn't overregulate and there wasn't such a thing as an instigator rule and the, and things like that. Would Tom Wilson be as effect, be as dangerous as he seems to be? Because he can run run around like a chicken with his head cut off and not not face a Ryan Reeves afterwards. Right. No. If if the league stopped overregulating, maybe maybe Tom Wilson is an effective. 30 goal guy like he is who's a physical player like you like a team needs and wants but he's not he's not hurting he's people. not yeah he's not dangerous and i agree that you know i'm i'm okay with taking the headshots out of the game i'm okay with with uh taking you know some of the checking from behind away uh but my gosh, there there are a couple of major major things that really need to change in yep. this game, and it's across the board. One of them is that instigator rule. Absolutely, and I agree. So if you if you I know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, legislation against fighting in the developmental leagues, and that's probably fine because players don't always know how to do it safely and when to do it. But as a kid grows up, and if you get off to major junior. Uh, and into the pro ranks at, in the coast or the A or, or the NHL, you need to be able to, if you're going to protect yourself, you need to know how. Instigator rule is ridiculous. It was ridiculous when it started. It's ridiculous today. The other one that they just is an extremely unpopular topic is putting the onus on the guy getting hit. Oh, absolutely. Keep your head up. Don't, t- don't turn your back. How Keep many your times do you do see that, a guy yeah. turn his back when he sees a check coming? He's standing three feet from the boards. He knows the check is coming. He looks over his shoulder and sees it, and then he turns his numbers to it. Well, Casey Middlestead last year turned his back on Zadorov, got hit, and then when they asked him afterwards, his exact quote was, oh, well, the league's going to protect me. Yeah. 
I don't have to have any brains. So the league's going to protect. This anyways, is what happens anyways. when the this is what happens when the suits try to legislate yeah. it as opposed to letting the playground police itself. Absolutely. And that's that that theme has never changed for me in forty years. Absolutely. It's not going. Well, we to. won't get down the rabbit hole on it <laughs> okay. now. Yeah, let's. let's we had not. a good conversation. <laughs> we'll, we'll we can touch on it again at a later date. It was just it was a thought I had of. You know, maybe a guy like Tom Wilson seems more dangerous and more like a nuisance because of the constant overregulation. Well, which he, ju- which basically just puts a spotlight on him rather than him just being another player on the ice who happens to th- throw the knuckles every now and then. So, so it was just a, it was a thought I had. Um, anyways, what are we looking forward to this coming week? Well, uh, what a couple of weeks off, aren't we? Yep. We're going to, we can uh, take a, yes, we're going to be out of studio for a week yeah, or two. That's a glad you mentioned. Next week we are out of studio. There will be a another um, another quick announcement for everybody as to what's coming in the in the coming weeks and months um, here with War Room and and everything like that. I believe we're only out of studio next week, though. Okay, yeah, we're back on the. I believe so. 14th? So I believe we're back in studio the week after next. Right. So we're only going to be out of studio for what would be one episode. So look for, look for social media and look for an announcement to be posted next week in replace of a full episode, but it should only be for next week. So Tell Louie to give me a couple of days notice. I'll be ready. I'll be perfect. around. I'm not going anywhere. I put a moratorium on travel, so I will be here. Yes. I know you're going to Calgary for a wedding, but I will be here. Yes. I am off to Alberta. Um, anyways, studio or not, what are we looking forward to this coming week? Well, I think we're going to see some more, uh, some more movement on signing. Think so? Yeah, I do. I think there's, uh, there's, it's been eerily quiet. I think there's going to be some more movement on players. I don't know that we're going to see Marner or Point or anybody signed until maybe the 11th hour, maybe even the start of camp. But I think there's going to be, there's going to be some movement. And when you see, when that first domino falls and the and the AAVs are starting to put in place for guys like Rantanen and Marner and Point and Connor and Liney, they're probably going to see several of them tumble. But in the meantime, the hocus pocus is out there. Like I said, I, I, I you probably you said it several times. Marner's the guy everybody's waiting on, and with that Clarkson deal. I think that's where the cap space is going to come from to make it happen. Get Marner signed, and I think the dominoes fall after that. There is a lot of pressure there to to not recreate that Nylander debacle. So, well, do they do they give into the pressure or not? Uh, there's no choice. They're, Marner's too effective. He's too consistent. He's a local to, kid. I mean, He's too popular. There, that's a signing that's got to happen. Pressure is one thing, but getting it pressure done. or not. You got to get it done, and oh, I don't want another another Nylander, but will we get another Nylander is ultimately the question. So really, you got to get it done then. Yeah, that's and and that's unfortunately it. You know, Marner for to his credit, I guess, has given it given it back to Darren Ferris, his agent. So. Yeah. Nobody's going to know. There's no word. But anyway, anyway that's yeah. what we're looking forward anyway. to is getting some more signings done. And you know what? By the time we get back in. There are going to be there's some, some captain skates going on. There's going to be some um, there's going to be some guys getting back uh, back on the ice together. You're going to start seeing a lot of these uh, yeah. local guys getting together as a group to to play. Well, here in the o- here in the Okanagan, players will start doing their softball tournaments and their you know get back on the ice for their training here in uh, Kelowna and in yep. the Okanagan. So they'll by the time by the time I'm back from Calgary from my wedding, the wedding I'm going to. Um, they should guys should start guys should start already be getting getting the the weights out getting back into back into the swing of things so two or three weeks on the boat on on the golf course yeah anyway thank you for tuning in for another episode of war room the hockey podcast listeners are the driving force behind what we do and we can't thank you enough for tuning in head to facebook give us a like head to instagram give us a, a follow head to podbean spotify and apple podcast give us a rating a review Hit the subscribe button. Be alerted to new episodes, which come out every week. And we thank you again for tuning in. Thank you to Brad for joining in the studio. Always. Always a pleasure. Love it.
Yep. I'm Evan Rauer with War Room, the Hockey Podcast, and I will see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.